Hey folks, Fred Delory here, and I'm excited to go on background with you again. Uh, last week's podcast, we had on uh, Cole Hogan, and he and I chatted about the Conservatives' digital media presence, their rise, and where they are today. But now, I want to look across the aisle and take a peek at what the Liberals are all about. We're going to talk about liberal social media, what has worked and where they are now. We'll touch on Donald Trump comparisons to conservatives, Pierre Polyev and his view on social media and the press gallery, and whether Justin Trudeau needs to start boxing again. better to bring into chat on background about liberal digital presence than the person behind so much of it over the years. Dave Summer worked as a digital strategist for Justin Trudeau from uh, 2014 until 19. uh, And after dominating that spear for a while, he buggered off to DC to work for Instagram, but is now back in the country working with the fine folks at Creative Currency. Dave Summer, thanks for uh, sitting down with me. Let's crack a beer and let's go on background. The beer is cracked. I'm here on right. background, right? <laughs> All on background. All right. Uh, look, uh, I'm really excited you're here. We had a, had a really fun conversation with Cole last week about uh, the conservative digital presence. And I'd love to get a sense where the liberals are and uh, where they are and where they, how they got to where they are and where they were uh, back when you joined them in 2014 when Trudeau was opposition, or not, sorry, not opposition leader, a opposition leader, the third place party. Third, third party opposition, deep opposition. Right. And the only time in uh, in history that they were uh, at that level. What was it like then? What was the, the lay of the land in 2014 from your perspective? From I'd like to hear what you uh, have to say about the liberals, but also what you think the conservatives, the governing party at the time, where they were. Absolutely. First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Nobody knows the hour at which we're recording this with cracked beers, so we'll just keep that That's between right. us. When I got to the Liberal Party in 2014, even though we were in third place, the prevailing sentiment was one of momentum because right. um, Justin Trudeau was obviously a guy with huge name recognition and a lot of wind at his back at the time. Right. You guys, you were in first place in the polls on and off around that time, right? It was dancing around. But it was dancing times. around. I mean, remember, the polls were pretty grim up until up until Election Day, up until a few weeks before Election Day. And, yeah. and, and, and so they, they were bouncing around, and we were coming into the tail end of the party of a, of a, of a clean out and a rehiring and a massive restaffing. So by the time I got there, they were already starting to staff up a little bit. And a lot of the folks who were there who had been through the grim times after 2011 when the party had, you know, had gone through layoffs and gone through a lot of restructuring were starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And so I was able to, to, to benefit from kind of a, a bit of an electricity in the air. We were moving to a new office and it was almost like a startup mentality at the time. Right. And that's, uh, that's a great uh, way to look at it because you guys were um, down in the dumps, uh, in terms of, uh, the number of seats you had 35 seats, I think back then, but it gave you so much freedom to experiment, right. And to do whatever you wanted. Like we have new leadership come in, you had none of that old guard that said, well, this is the way we always do it. Uh, which clearly hadn't been successful for a number of elections for the liberals. Yeah. We got in there with a lot of freedom, but not a lot of budget. Not right. a lot of budget. Right. And I remember at the time in those first few months, and, and Jeremy Broadhurst was leading the party, uh, the party office at the time, and he basically was like, listen, um, you know, tell me, what, tell me what you think needs to happen here. But the irony is, is that I was hired originally to do mostly uh, posters and flyers and a little bit of video. So my job was to get the, the visual branding identity in order. Which was the way we did communications before the digital uh, social media exploded, right? Exactly. Like, here, spend all day designing this flyer, and then we're going <laughs> to hand out the flyer, right? Yeah. Um, but then over time, as, as time progressed, obviously, uh, you know, I started working on the digital, and, and that became kind of like our, my main focus and the main communications channel. So to answer your question, you know, they were very open. Everyone was very open to trying new things. But... We didn't really have any money for it. We didn't really have any staff for it at first before we were able to hire a graphic designer, before we were able to hire a videographer even. Right. And so we were we were making our own designs for social media on this free program called GIMP. I had never heard of such a thing. It was so hard to use. We had an old camera. We had guys whose job was not at all related to comms working, um, you know, on camera, we had data people. Uh, our data woman was running prompter for for the leader at the time. It was it was it was very ersatz at the time. So you got you're in there. You're you guys. You're building your social media team. You have you worked with uh, Michael Pitfield, right? Is that uh, Tom Pitfield? 
Thompson. Michael Sutton. Oh, sorry. Wow, I'm dating myself somehow. <laughs> um, which it's is before your time, way yeah. before my time. That's a pre-dating strange, yeah. yourself. So, well, look, I'm a conservative. I don't follow that closely to the liberal world, so I don't. <laughs> these are names I kind of hear about. They bounce around in my head, but I don't actually couldn't put a face to any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he obviously played a big role in this as well um, in terms of the the Facebook placement and the ads and all that, right? Yeah, Tom was so on the organic side. You know, we were we we worked as a team inside the party. Um, Tom was really there um, to, to help us focus on the paid side, to understand targeting, to help us understand, you know, how to get a messaging out, how to use social media really to target individual audiences in a way that hadn't really been done before. Right, right. And that's the thing. Like, I remember our party, social media, we were in government when social media was really taking off. Um, and as uh, Cole mentioned last week on the episode about how opposition is the mother of all invention. So we were, we were looking at it. We were trying to do different things. Um, we even, we, the conservative party built a digital team going into the 2015 election, but about six months before decided it's not working and canned the whole thing. (laughs) Um, so we went in really in a different, uh, a different way and we weren't able to, our view was, um, because what had been so successful for us for years was voter ID. ID your vote, get them out. And to us, if social media wasn't a a way to do that, if we couldn't ID votes and get them out, it was useless. Right. And I see that even to this day, to everyone I talk to in any organization about social media, in any brand, in any company that we work with, a lot of the times what you get is this idea that social media has to be to get the click from the user to go to the website to convert to make the purchase to sign up right? As opposed to just being a way to communicate with people. And back then it very much was, okay, where do we put the call to action? Where do we put the call to action? Do we put it in the tweet? Do we put it in the comments? Do we put it where in the Facebook post are we putting the call to action? And it took us a while to understand, guys, we're trying to communicate politically here. We're trying to convey an idea and a message. We don't always have to wring every last click out of our user. Right. It's the, it's the new way to uh, persuade back to your, uh, your opening, uh, point about how you were designing posters and flyers and stuff to go out, right? That wasn't all call to action stuff. There would have been some on it, but it's about conveying that message, pushing the message out, right? which is what we didn't get then. But you can see Paul Ev's getting it now. That's how he's really getting his name out there. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like we're going to talk about Paul Yev a little bit, but I liked what, what your guest last week had said about um, opposition is the mother of invention. Because at the time we were, like I said, we were kind of on a, on a shoestring operation and we saw the conservatives doing that same old, same old thing or just being really, really, really intense in their attacks on Justin Trudeau at the time. And we thought, surely we can use social media for something else. What is it that thing that we can do? And we figured out, and you know, we talk a lot about <clears throat> taking inspiration from others and all the rest. And certainly we were inspired a little bit by the Obama campaign and everything that right. they had done and all the fundraising success that he'd had over the years. And at the time, the liberal social media apparatus fell under the fundraising department. It was seen as a tool to somehow raise funds, even though over time we realized that organic social is not necessarily the best way to do that. And we looked at Obama's social and we said, okay, this is great. He's really, really good at talking about major events that happen and and, and writing about things that are of significant national importance. But what if we adapted that and turned and started covering Justin Trudeau on the liberal social media like a journalist covers a beat. Why don't we just show him out there every single day doing his thing? And from there, we built that rhythm. Right. That's interesting. So going back to that same era, I remember the Harper approach was very similar, right? Where they would they, they did a big production about him, uh, a day in the life of a prime minister, where showed him getting up, going to work. And I felt it was totally useless because everyone already expects this guy's working hard and doing his job. You weren't conveying a message, though. You weren't saying. And I think with Trudeau, though, he, because maybe it was a different group he was going after, a different demographic. Um, but was he? Was there a story you were telling then that you, that fit into all this? It's so funny you talk about how a day in the life kind of didn't really resonate because everything comes around, right? And now what's popular on TikTok, what's popular on Reels are these day in the life videos that get so much engagement for people just because they're they're themselves showing themselves in an authentic way. And I think what was missing from Harper, for example, was a sense of authenticity. Or it was this idea that, okay. It's almost Har- robotic, right? Like well, he gets up, goes into the car, drives to the office, gets out, waves somewhere, sits in the desk. Puts works. on the sweater, pets yeah. the kitten, and then goes right. home. A lot right? of cat videos right? they did back A then. lot of cat videos. So, you know, and I, I'm trying to understand how it was back then when it was like, here is this guy who is, you know, I don't think it would have paid for you guys to show him as someone who really understands how Facebook works back then, 
right? But for us, we were just looking for new ways to communicate and talk about this guy who at the time was portrayed as extremely unserious and of course as extremely unready and as some kind of you know foppish hair guy. And so we were like, well, no, we have ideas. It's been all these years of Harper, so why don't we you know, combine our ideas with the fun imagery, with the shots of him connecting with people who want to see Justin Trudeau and turn that into an interesting uh, series of, of posts on social media that eventually become his brand on there. Is there any um, any fun stories from the from that campaign about social media that really popped through that you remember that something was really working well? I mean, it, it kind of takes time, right? It, it kind of takes time to to go. Oh, it's working. We're doing it. We're getting the clicks. It's happening. And it, and we would at the beginning throw all kinds of spaghetti at the wall. So we would we would break ourselves trying to come up with the coolest, most original infographics you could possibly find. And we hired a, an amazing graphic designer, Daryl Dean, an amazing videographer, Matt Snowy, and we had a tremendous amount of creative horsepower all at once. And those guys redid the visual identity of the party, and we started trying all kinds of stuff. And I remember it came to a head on uh, May the 4th. That was uh, May the 4th, 2015, um, Star Wars Day, and it was the day that we announced the can- child benefit. So, right. you know, the signature child benefit that gives more money to families and all the rest. And we did this whole, like, Star Wars-themed thing. We had a live broadcast from a restaurant in Vanier uh, here in Ottawa. And it was, you know, it was like all of the things that we'd worked on came together. And you had, like, the the, the Skywalker family will, will get, you know, X hundred dollars more every month because of this payment. You know, may the fourth be with you. Vote liberal. And at th- that was the time where we where we kind of realized, okay, like we, we've got a little something here. So one thing I remember well uh, in 2015 campaign, I was a candidate in Nova Scotia. I remember, uh, you know, you'd have these long days knocking on doors, uh, going out, talking to voters, exhausted at the end of the day, coming home, cracking a beer, sitting on the, the kitchen table late at night. And I'd put up, my uh, my laptop and just see what's going on in the world and open up Facebook and I had all these Sean Fraser ads who was my liberal opponent uh, and all these like different notes and all this stuff like it was it was you guys really crushed it then because uh, you were the only ones talking in that space at an aggressive level right I don't think we were even I don't think we did any I I was a target seat I was a, a traditional conservative seat I was running in and I don't think there was any digital buy whatsoever from my local campaign anyway I could be wrong on that. Uh, but you guys really crushed it in that one. I think the digital ad game was a really unsung part of that narrative because in the end, the media, you know, all the stories were about, like, it's the it's the bright young star Trudeau and he's on social media and whatever, whatever. And it took a while for, uh, you know, the media stories and the recaps of that 2015 campaign to start talking about using their advanced targeting and understanding how they can make it work. They really went after these key writings, you know, and, and the ads folks really, really understood how to bring it home. And look, you can even talk about the latest election where we, we, I say we, where the liberals hung on by a thread. You know, we hung on by this thread and it was, again, a lot of people saying, look, that's the power of their targeting, the power of understanding how to bring yeah. people out, right? And I feel like you guys are, are slowly understanding now how to catch up with that with that sort of targeting piece. But you also now have this big sledgehammer in Pierre Poiliev who is kind of doing the the broad messaging piece as well, right? Right, and that's what I, I'd like to get to next is what I think is a decline in liberal social media. Now, the targeting, there's there's no question that they uh, remained experts of that, and we saw that in the 21 campaign. But I find their product, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe the product's the same, maybe that's the problem, is that it's the same, and it hasn't evolved. When I go on Polyev's social media and I look at conservative MPs, it's all the same message, and it's all hammer, hammer, hammer the, the liberals. And I go on liberal social media, and uh, Justin Trudeau and different cabinet ministers and spinners. It's all, everyone has a different story they're telling and I don't know what it is. Like it's it's announcements of the day. It's it's government-itis or something. Like they got into this thing where it's boring, it's dry, it's not, ex- it's, it doesn't fire up their own base and certainly doesn't, I think, appeal to uh, political folks that are on the fence. Yeah, I call it podiumitis in a lot of ways, right? Because it's a picture of a government official Shaking hands, giving out a big check, proverbially handing a plaque to someone, you know, writing about how they're so honored and humbled and privileged to be spending taxpayer money. And every government, no matter the stripe, falls, yes. into, that, yeah. falls into that trap. Yeah. Conservative governments in every province do it. Everybody does. It. But just to rewind for a second, I got into politics because I got really riled up after living through two, two liberal leaders getting absolutely cut in half by Stephen Harper's preemptive attack ads. 
Right. So you had Dion Ignatiev, before they even really like, you know, took off their coat um, in the House of Commons, getting absolutely slaughtered by these just brutal attack ads. And I, I thought, listen, I'm kind of interested in politics anyway. If I can be of some kind of help to the Liberal Party, I'm gonna I'm gonna go join and do my duty and and, and fight the good fight, right? And you know, politics is what it is. It's it's a, it's a very catty business. It's a very aggressive business. But one rule we always had: no personal attacks against Stephen Harper in that first campaign. And I think when you say and um, the, the point, the reason I'm saying this is when you say you know the conservatives are really on message and they're really disciplined now. They're really disciplined in nonstop attacking Justin Trudeau. Yeah, a little bit personally, but also with you know the tools they have now, talking about housing, obviously, and cost of living. It doesn't stop. Whereas the liberal instinct that's been, you know, uh, trained into us since 2014, 2015 is keep it positive, nothing bad. And so that's why I think you see a lot of announcementitis, podiumitis. Right. And instead of constructive attacks on Pierre Poilievre, you see a lot of like, uh, well, not, not constructive. Instead of, you know, attacks that, that dig at the heart of what Poilievre is talking about, you have a lot of like, well, his tone is unparliamentary, you know, like, how dare Poilievre talk like that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I would prefer we didn't talk about Pierre Poilievre at all than get into that stuff. You know? Right, right. If you're going to throw a punch, throw it. Yeah. If you're going to throw a punch, throw it. And right now, I would say, what do, you know, we can throw punches all we want, but what are we talking about? And so... Right. There's two, there's two sides to this. Right. Is I think the liberals don't have their positive... Uh, vision, and I hate the word vision. I and I say this often. Like I hate like every time I run a campaign, everyone's like, "Well, what's your vision?" It's what's your narrative, what's your story, is what that is. And it's not about what your vision of the country is. What is your story on why you are the the best choice? And the liberals have not had that. And I wonder if they've ever had that since fifteen, um, the nineteen and twenty one campaigns. The liberals uh, were trailing at various parts in that and if they had something that they were you know I, I don't remember uh, in 19 um, what their main story was or in 21 it was basically COVID and then but it was weird um, there's no unifying message that they're promoting and and I think what you need is uh, that message and then the, the contrast with your opponent yeah absolutely and if you look at you know liberal social media now it pains me to see that who's the main character in liberal social media it's Pierre Polyev and that is a real, real danger. It's a real red flag to me because you're going to ride that car right off a cliff of attacking Poilievre and making him the central figure of your social media. And if you look at Hillary, for example, in 2016, who was the main character of her social media? It was Donald Trump. Mm. Every day, all day, 30-second ads of just him talking, you know? And so the extreme example of that is the liberals put up a, a clip of Pierre Poilievre saying, I think it was some, some horribly homophobic thing or some horribly transphobic thing. And they sort of posted that in its entirety, again, with this tone of like, how dare he speak like that? As opposed to not realizing that's not going to convince a single liberal voter to like vote more liberal. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, and if you're looking to appeal to people in the middle, you have to put things in your own window for them to vote for. One thousand percent. You know, that Pierre Polyev doing that kind of stuff. I, I don't know. I don't know if it moves the needle for us any more than it, than it doesn't. I think, so look, maybe it's my conservative roots and our history of, uh, you know, I grew up in that Harper era where we attacked the living heck out of our uh, opponents and were successful of it. Um, so maybe I'm, I'm, I'm colored by that. But I think uh, the liberals should be talking about Polyev, but a, in a coherent way where it's an actual message that they're pushing um, and an actual narrative that fits into it. They got to do the research and figure out what it is and then hammer on it and be consistent. Like if they're all over the place. Like there's just all these different messages. Yeah. And I think, look, the danger, the reason why I pose it right now is because we're, we're two years from an election. So if what you're saying right now is look at this guy, look at this guy, look at this guy, you're not, get, you're, you're just kind of treading water. And certainly there will, you know, there is a, a liberal tendency in this government to pull an absolute rabbit out of a hat, which we've all been the beneficiaries of. In the and party. is that what they're counting on right now? Because it feels like they're just, <laughs> ah, well, you know, week week three of the campaign, we'll figure this out. Week three of the campaign, someone will throw gravel at the prime minister again and, and everything will turn <laughs> right. around, right? I remember that night so well. Right. <laughs> and, and I don't mean like a small incident like that. I mean, the prime minister has this tendency or has this ability, this really amazing ability to like, see the political playing field and make like a really, really big push into it in a way that gets everybody talking. And I know he's kind of been a little bit under the radar lately, and why not? You know, it's it was it's been a hell of a couple of years. And so the reason why I'm like, 
you know, these liberal sort of rebuttals or fact check of Polyevs don't really do anything is because we're just, we're just, the narrative just isn't being told right now as it should be. Right. And I still think there is so much to tell in terms of liberal success, in terms of talking about the Canada child benefit, talking about the things they've done to make life easier for Canadians, and then, you know, obviously acknowledging that life is hard for Canadians and having a vision to go forward. And that's what's missing is that unifying all those little policy planks. You've got all these different ministers going out on, on and I'm, we're talking social media here, so they're, they're pushing it out, all these little things they're doing, but there's no unifying message. There's no Canada's economic action plan that the Harper uh, government had that helped us get a majority in 2011. Right, right. And, and that'll come. I'm, you know, obviously this is a professional operation. They know what they're doing. But when we're, we're talking about specifically social media, I think... You know, you're right that the drip, drip, drip of announcements isn't necessarily setting the world on fire. Right. And so what you need is to have a kind of unified vision right now. And I think there's a lot there. It's just, it's just, there's a lot there that they could be talking about. It's just not being executed right now. And I'm, I'm not certain why. Right. And so the mechanics are there though, right? Like the foundation, the digital, uh, you know, the reach the prime minister has, he has what, 6 million followers on Twitter and Polyev has 800,000. His reach is much bigger. But if you look, if you go through their their stuff, and I've scanned through it, and I, I will preface this by saying I'm no digital expert here, but it looks like the prime minister's engagement is very similar to Polyev's in terms of likes and retweets or whatever we call those now. Um, it feels like Polyev's getting a bigger bang for his buck. So are you? I, I think what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's... The mechanics are there. The, the foundation is there. It's the, it's the narrative that's not, like the, the cohesiveness. That's one of the things. Obviously, so what else is it? Well, okay, so we live in a, in a Netflix world where you watch season one, season two, season three. All right, what other shows are there, right? And I think that a lot of the times when it comes to the liberals and this government, we are still on season one in a lot of ways. Of the liberal government? Yes. My yes, God. Yes. And I think when we're busy talking about, all right, remember... This is season nine. We've been extended <laughs> way too long. Season <laughs> nine with the director's all cut. All the players, no, all no. the main actors have left. I mean, I think the there's a tendency that... to message as if we're season right. one, right? Okay. And, and I think there's, there needs to be a realization that people need to see something new and something new needs to be put in the window. And so when you say, why does Polyev's reach um, you know, exceed Justin Trudeau's on Twitter? First thing I'll say is, look, Twitter has changed a lot in the past year or so. Right. And, and I think the people who'd be more receptive to Justin Trudeau's message just aren't on there as much. We're starting to see anecdotally, but also in a sort of quasi-research and polling way, evidence of a bit of an engagement drop-off on Twitter. And it's a place that's obviously a lot more hospitable to people who are new upstars, lean the right and all the rest, or lean to the right. And we're starting to see Pierre Polyev become the darling of the American right, much yeah. like Justin Trudeau was the darling of the American left in those days. Right. So, you know, he's new, he's a fresh voice, he's Netflix season one in a lot of ways. Whereas the prime minister, I think right now, if I'm, if I'm assuming what I know to be true about sort of the way they're gonna plan this out in the next election, they are laying low a little bit, and why not, and trying to figure out what comes next season-wise. And I certainly think that, you know, after eight years in office, engagement is going to drop off. That's, that's a truism. After COVID, engagement dropped off for a lot of politicians because their, their audiences spiked during COVID. And so that's, you know, that's all well and good. And it's like you say, he's busy prime ministering. Right. So if Trudeau, can, uh, if Poilievre can come out with a tweet going, you know, uh, your groceries are more expensive because of Trudeau and this is Trudeau's fault and that's Trudeau's fault and he owns the media which is like this weird tangent that he's been on lately which we'll get into you know the Prime Minister can't afford to do that on Twitter and I don't necessarily think he needs to I would never advise anyone to be a Twitter gangster but he really needs to start thinking about you know how on other platforms he's going to start rehumanizing himself and de-Prime Ministerizing himself Right, um, right. That's an interesting um, uh, a point where how he he has to be a candidate and not a prime minister, right? A candidate for the job. Other platforms you mentioned though. So what else? Like what else are we looking at here in terms of being able to push communication? What works well? Like I've, I've been talking about Twitter and Facebook. What else is there that? Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe a little bit unspoken here is that the prime minister's Instagram Reels have been getting tons of engagement lately. Right. You know, they, they've pivoted to Reels, obviously, in the in the absence of of TikTok in this country. And I, for, for the political class anyway, and a lot of the stuff he does, does very well. You know, they're, they're really, you know, working on that short form video while obviously, you know, his opposition 
loves YouTube and leans into long-form YouTube. And I think there's a lot of different areas for the prime minister to explore there as well. I think that said, the Liberal caucus and cabinet at the same time also need to refine their eye of the tiger, put it that way, and get out of that of that Instagram trap of here's me at a thing, here's me at a thing, here's me at a thing. Right, the old school, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an MP, so I've gone to uh, open a, a bakery in my ride. And it's a grip and grin and so forth. And yeah. so moving away from being a politician on Instagram to a human being on Instagram who happens to be a politician, mm. right, is, 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 I think, a way that they can think about getting back out there. And, you know, I love the Rocky movies, the Prime Minister is a boxer. When's the last time you saw the Prime Minister boxing at a photo op? It's been years, right? Right. When's the last time you saw the prime minister doing yoga? Senator. Yeah. Yeah. When's the last time you saw the prime minister doing yoga? It's been 2012, 2013. And, you know, I think obviously when you're prime minister, you can't just do boxing and yoga photo ops all the time. But if you think about it in terms of the Rocky movies, and yes, I planned this, I planned this simile on my way here to the studio. But if you think (laughs) about it in terms of the Rocky movies, we're at Rocky three right now. So he won. So... First round against Prime Minister Harbour, that was Rocky II. He beat the champ, knocked him out, done and done. Then all of a sudden, events happened, and Trump and so forth. So I'll compare Trump to Ivan Drago. So we were living in Rocky IV, and there he was, the scrappy Trudeau, still going up against Trump and succeeding. And I think history will be very, very kind to him for what he did uh, vis-a-vis Donald Trump. But now somehow we're back in Rocky III, where he's the champ, and he's been champ for a long time. And Clubber Lang is training. I don't know if anyone's going to get any of these references. Well, I'm Clubber, just trying to figure out where yeah. Andrew Shear and Aaron O'Toole fit into this movie. Ah, uh, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. Okay. So Aaron O'Toole was Tommy Gunn. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Aaron, no, Aaron O'Toole was. If you think about it, in that arc, I guess, yeah, Tom, pre-Tommy Gunn. So he's he came before Drago. He's one of the guys. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're I think Rocky Five or something. Yeah. You know, where Tommy yeah. Gunn was Rocky Five. So then you have Rocky III, and you have Mr. T, Clubber Lang, training in that, in that sweaty gym, right. hungry, ready, and the champ who maybe has lost... It would have been crushing it in social media if it existed back if then. Clubber, if, if social media had existed in 1980s Los Angeles, yeah, in, in, in the boxing world. So, I mean, look, I think what I'm trying to say is you, you have a guy who's been there, who knows how to get there, who has been fighting shape for a long time and has gone through a lot has gone through a lot. Nobody asked for Trump. Nobody asked for COVID. Nobody asked for all of the world events that are buffeting him. Now, every leader has to deal with it. But these are a lot of things that interrupted a lot of years for him. And I think it's, you know, now is the time. Take advantage of this quiet period. Recharge a little bit. Understand what Canadians are going through. And really, 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 you know, make an effort to show that we're we're doing the work. We are empathizing with them. We are doing the work to make life affordable. And there's plenty of time left. You mentioned earlier uh, Polyev and the media. Uh, obviously, he's using social media to bypass them, just like Harper did back in the Harper days. He would go to regional outlets, right? He would bypass the parliamentary press gallery as much as possible and get out there into the into the uh, into the regions. Uh, Polyev is using social media to do it, um, but also really taking the media on um, directly. And I think that's a huge mistake. Look, I think it's a huge mistake from the standpoint of, you know, the cohesiveness of the country and respecting the institutions that we have. When Pierre Poiliev starts to do that, it might play well with the base. It might play well with the Twitter keyboard warriors and his folks on YouTube who like watching long videos. But when he attacks the media, when he implies over and over and over again that Justin Trudeau tells the media what to say and da 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 you're playing with fire. You are playing with so much fire in the fabric of this country. I know I sound naive, but it's true. You can't go around just lying like that. And I feel like it's such a lack of discipline on on his part. And I know you said, you know, the conservative... He seems very disciplined when he's saying it. He's so consistent <laughs> yeah. and clear and constant. Yeah, he says it all the time, it's every not single like day. It's, just, it's not like he just wakes up and like, I'm mad at them this day. But it's... let me ask you, let me ask you, does, does he genuinely believe that? Does Pierre Polyev get up in the morning and go, Justin Trudeau tells the media what to say? Now, I, I disagree with how... Uh, Poliev is dealing with it. I don't think we should go out and uh, pick fights with people who buy ink by the barrel. Um, but a lot of conservatives are, uh, reflect a lot of our experience in that when he goes out there and says, says this stuff. I remember when, back to 2015, and I keep coming back to this, when I ran against Sean Frazier, I was living in Ottawa. Sean was living in Calgary. And the nomination opens up for both of our parties at the, around the same time back home in Nova Scotia where we're both from. And I put my name in, he puts his name in. 
We both have very competitive nominations. I won mine on a Saturday. He won his on the, the following day, the Sunday. The Nova Scotia newspaper, the Chronicle Herald, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, uh, said uh, Ottawa Parachute, Fred DeLore <laughs> versus Pictou County lawyer, Sean Frazier, <laughs> who was in Calgary, just maybe not as long as I was in Ottawa, but not that far off. So, and that's just one, that's a small, uh, silly example. But we've, we've always have this ingrained feeling that the, the media, the press gallery, it tends to be pro-liberal. And I think that's a reality. But at the same time, we've been very successful. A lot of them are very professional and will write the stories that need to be told. Uh, and I think it is very risky for Paul Yev to be doing this. And not for what you're saying. I see what you're saying about the national cohesion. And I get all that. My view is, and I look at things really through the political lens and the lens alone, during a campaign, I don't want this mass, this this large entity uh, feeling that I'm at war with them. That could that is also go, has an amazing way to reach an, an amazing amount of Canadians. I do think Polyev reaches more Canadians than a lot of news outlets do right now. But I think it is a big risk. Yeah, I, I mean, look from your practical campaigning perspective, I totally understand that. You know, for for us on the liberal side, we're like, first of all, you know, the major national newspaper chains lean conservative. You know, uh, one of the major broadcast networks, Global, leans a little bit conservative. You can say what you will about CTV. It's more in the middle, I guess. I used to work there. You know, I've seen how it works. The only time I've ever worked in a place where we were openly slanting to the right was when I worked, obviously, at Sun News. And that was, you know, a place that was pretty open. Sorry, you worked at Sun News? Oh, yeah. Did, <laughs> I didn't know did, that. Did you know that Corey Tonight was my boss? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I did two years there, understanding how the conservative mind works, right? Which, is, <laughs> which, was, which was really interesting. I'll say that. But, you know, that was one of the only places where, you know, the, the, the place had an open right-wing bias that they were pretty, pretty obvious about. But, you know, in no other newsroom does any journalist ever take any orders from anyone in terms of how to tone or slant their piece. That's, that's total fiction. No, I agree. Yeah. Fully, fully, fully agree there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I think another danger for Paul, yeah, putting on my, my conservative campaign hat, is that his tone, I don't think he can rein it in very well. When it comes out, it comes out as a real, real snark. And I think that going up against Justin Trudeau, who after all these years, his tone has kind of become, like you say, government-fied or whatever, and people are like, I can't relate to this guy right now like I used to, it's going to be really interesting who can make a pivot. And, you know, if I were talking to the boss right now, I would say, look, what it is that I think needs to happen is that you need to, as much as you can, go back to talking like a, like a, like a normal human being. And it's hard, right? You get institutionalized. You get, and you know. Do you think they can do that? Do you think they can do it soon? Like if we're, we're you know, we, we're talking two years for the next election, but we could be in an election six months, uh, 12 months. Uh. I'll tell you a story. When one time um, Justin Trudeau was, it's a story about Justin Trudeau telling a story. And he was talking about how he was going through Tokyo. And he remarks to Sophie, wow, the streets are clean. Uh, traffic flows smoothly. This is great. Like, you know, we got we to figure out what, how they, how, what's their secret here. And Sophie turned to him and said, you're in a motorcade and they've closed off the streets. <laughs> and, he, and he tells that anecdote as a way of going, you know, you can, get, you can fall out of touch real quick in this right. job, real right. quick in this job. And he's like, it was always a reminder for me to, to check myself as much as possible. And it's a guy who does care. And it's a guy who understands that, you know, he, it's, it's a lot of years that have passed with a lot of things that have happened. And, you know, he's going to have to, he's going to have to turn this around somehow. And he, I think he firmly believes that he is the better choice in the next election and that he is a guy who will, you know, respect the norms of, of democracy in a way that Polyev maybe won't or is making signals about not doing. See, right and there, what do you mean by, like, respect so, the norms of democracy? Yeah. Like, we are in the business of winning more votes than the other parties. What is that, like, how does that appeal to people? Yeah, so... When you say something like, you know, if, if, if the other parties get together in a coalition, we're going to go nuclear, right? Right. That kind of thing. Or it was little things that happened in the Harper era where he would all of a sudden stop scrumming. You know, like these, all these unwritten traditions that he decided, I'm not doing that. That's for suckers, you know? And I'm not saying that's necessarily a good or a bad thing. But I think what I'm getting at, and you know this is coming, is that there is a sense in liberal quarters that painting Polyev as like the MAGA guy that we're seeing more and more now is possibly a bit of a winning strategy because Polyev has that MAGA flavor to him. 
He's using those tactics. Interesting. And how did MAGA end? With an insurrection. And I'm not saying that's ever going to happen here, but that's how it ended. And it's coming back. And so for Paul, you have to be dipping his foot in that toe, WEF stuff and, and controlling the media and all that is a, is a strange thing. Yeah, I think I think that is a uh, I think that's where the liberals will go, and this is a, a battle of contrasts. And and, a, and I know the liberals, as we as we talked earlier about how they are um, ingrained to talk about uh, to be positive and talk about hope, but uh, campaigns all come down to contrasting. And if they uh, if they get aggressive on this way, it could work for them. Mm. That could be the path. It could be. It could be. And I think that they'd be they'd be foolish to go too heavy on it. Canadians aren't stupid. They smell bullshit a mile away. And it's got to it's got to yeah, everything they say has to be backed up with some truth to it. You can't you can't make shit up. Right. And and pointing at the conservative leader as the boogeyman who's going to take away your right to abortion and all that has worked in the past. You know, Polyev doesn't say anything about that. I think the Conservative Party has grown wise to that debate possibly being locked away and over for the time being. But at the same time, Polyev does leave this flank exposed um, on these issues. But the, the problem when we get back to social media is the problem is these issues play so well for him on social media for Polyev. He right. has done a masterful job at like raising this army for himself while we're still going, you know, it's an honor to give a grant to such and such business. That's right. And that's where if you go on social media now, political social media in Canada, like Polyev is, is crushing it. And at the same time, the polls are reflecting that. So like, why, why has he got a nine or wherever you, if you look at all the pollsters, 15 to 20 point lead. Is it like, it's social media that's really standing out. Well, I mean, there's social media, there's, you know, inflation, there's, there's a lot that's gone on. There's, Good point. Yeah. Good there's, point. there's the fact that our guy has been in office for a, for a while now. Yeah. Right? And Interest rates is, are, out of, are, are very high. There's also, yeah. I, you know, we talk about social media and all this stuff, but it's also, if you look at the headlines, Polyev is very good at getting headlines. Yeah. Um, despite his so-called war with the, the press gallery. Well, that's why I kind of disagree with you on like the press gallery leaders liberal. Maybe individually they all do, but the press gallery loves a story. They love a fight. They love a scrappy opposition leader. So of course they're going to report what he says. And now they're all worried about being labeled as too far liberal, which right. you know, which kind of which kind of skews things in, in the other direction. So I think you know where Polyev has been good has been at redefining the social media game like we worked so hard to do back in 2015 to, to showcase this young leader, to be the first on Facebook, to be the first politician to use Facebook Live, you know? That's how far back we go. Like, wow, we were the first to use Facebook Live. We opened right. a Snapchat. He was the first prime minister on LinkedIn. So these are all, you know, areas that, that are still vibrant platforms. LinkedIn is growing like crazy. LinkedIn engagement is like a rocket ship in so many ways. Right. And so we have to get back to not just copy pasting announcements and putting them on the social media we have to get back to communicating properly and one other thing that that now um, you've seen Trudeau do more of is partnerships with creators partnerships with you know young Canadians with big diverse social media audiences oh interesting he's doing that so yeah. I haven't seen that he's doing a lot of that now slowly but surely and we're not just talking about like influencers with a capital I like that sort of like vapid unboxing kind of thing we're talking about real people who have interesting content who partner with the prime minister on announcements, on things like yeah. that. These are people who have massive channels, right? And they have huge followings. And if you tap into that. Yeah, and not just massive. Uh, it's also worth, you know, being a micro-influencer sometimes. And in, in What's a micro You know, someone with 5,000 followers, 1,000 followers. You charge less, but you have a really niche audience that loves what you do. And so you get deals that way. And in my day job, you know, at Creative Currency, we, we work with a lot of influencers. And you, you'll realize often it's not worth paying the whale influencer 50 grand for one Instagram post. Right. Right. It's maybe worth being a little more strategic in the way you think about it and working with smaller influencers. Well, it's real micro targeting, yeah. right? You're finding those, those groups. That, oh my goodness. Wow. Excellent. Coming back full circle on yeah. the micro targeting. Yeah. yeah so that is something. Yeah. No, that is a, a, a good part of their strategy. It's a small part of their strategy. And I think overall, what it has to come down to, like we've talked about over and over, is the prime minister getting back out there, getting the eye of the tiger back, and just being a human being. Hey, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau, how does it feel after nine years, you're down in the polls, da-da-da? Well, it's tough, you know? I'm going to do my best, man. We've made some mistakes. We've had some success. We've done a lot of good things. You know, trying that way of talking instead of when Canadians know the middle class and so forth. It's funny, yeah. He, the convoy inquiry, was that this time last year? He spoke to it, um, and that was the best I've ever seen. Justin Trudeau speak because it looked like he was just talking Yes, and it was none of these talking points and these like he, I think he's terrible I we, we all say he's a great speaker and all that I think he's a terrible speaker when he's 
when he's got this rehearsed speech in his head. Uh, but when he just sits there and delivers a message, like just talks, not delivers a message, sorry, just talks and, and tells it like it is. I thought that was the best performance I've ever seen from him in following this guy since he uh, first got elected. You know how every year he goes on a Christmas podcast with a radio DJ back, back in Montreal, Terry DeMonte. And, you know, he's got this really, really friendly rapport with Terry. They go back. You know, Terry's been – my first job in radio was, uh, was, on, was on the radio station where Terry DeMonte was. And, you know, it's fun. It's relaxed. It's laid back. And it's, it's honest, you know. And it's the kind of thing that you just wish every politician, not just Justin Trudeau, but you just wish would be more regular in politics. Let's just talk, you know, like, like two guys on a podcast having a beer, for example. And right. I've been in that situation where you're just sitting with him having a beer and it's just normal. Right. right? And, and, and this is an extreme example. And this was a very, very hard and hurtful time. But, um, you know, you might remember, for example, uh, obviously when the blackface controversy came, this sort of like this awful, awful thing that happened. You know, and he apologized, and he recognized the hurt that he had caused. And in that apology, someone asked him, how many more pictures are going to come out, or how many more videos are going to come out? And he said, I don't know. You know, it might be a lot. And it was just this moment, not to, like, cynically exploit this moment for, you know, oh, that was good comms, but it was just, he was just normally answering a question. Right. Or when he got hit with the gravel, right? And the reporter said, did you get hurt or whatever? And he said, does, does it matter if I got hurt? Like, wasn't that crazy? So it's funny you mentioned those two points. Those are the two turning points, I believe, in the 19 and 21 campaigns. I believe in 19, Andrew Scheer had a path to victory when he was hammering on affordability. And when blackface happened, the conservatives lost their message track and only started talking on this question, is Justin Trudeau, basically trying to make the ballot question, is Justin Trudeau racist? No one believed that. And it wasn't a ballot question. And I believe that's why we lost in 19. In 21, as a, I was a campaign manager then, and I remember that night when the, the gravel throwing happened, you could feel, you can feel the shift. Yeah. And uh, so it's funny you mentioned those two points. Yeah, I mean, and I think the gravel thing might have also been, you know, a sense that, you know, this, this weird, I hate to say online, because it was obviously a lot of people in the real world as well, but this weird online thing had come into the real world. Right. And someone had, had it tried it through. in real life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, F around and find out. Like someone F'd around and right. threw some gravel at the prime minister and everyone was like, well, what the hell was that? You yeah. Know? So I, I think there are so many paths forward for him. There is, there is so much time left for an election, but it's, it's got to be up to him. You know, him and him alone. And when you say, you know, he sounds like sometimes when he's talking, someone who's, you know, keeping his talking points straight, it's someone who's trying to, it, what it is, is it's someone who's trying to convey the message of the day clearly and concisely. I think my point is, screw all that. Throw the playbook in the trash and just sling it. And I know that. Well, they know, have to innovate, right? They yeah. have to go back to that. They have to, what what's worked before may not work in the next election. And if you keep trying to do the same uh, playbook, you're not gonna. You're not necessarily gonna succeed. Do you remember uh, the game show thing with Stephen Harper in 2015 when he was like putting the money down? Vague. So yeah. I, again, I was a candidate, so it was like door knocking <laughs> that day. But yes, I did yeah. see lots of that. So he had this like this photo op where he was like showing how much money you'd get, and it was like this like I'm, I'm making the hand motion of throwing money on the ground or something. And I asked someone much more uh, much more experienced and wise in political campaigning than me. How come Stephen Harper, the, the, the titan of message discipline, like, what is this weird crap, you know? Right. And he said, the problem is they're trying to do a VHS copy of a VHS copy of a VHS copy of what first worked in 2006, you know? Right. And that's where you run into, like, weird messaging that doesn't work. And so you're right. If the liberals manage to find new ways to innovate, and I know a lot of people are really racking their brains on how to do this, yeah. then they will have yeah, It's not easy, right? No. And you have the barrier of when you're in government and uh, in control for so long, you have people in place that don't want to see, you know, they, I don't want to say they're, they're not open to it, but they just, they're busy with their day-to-day -day stuff and they're not willing to approve this new way of thinking. Yeah, and I think it's going to loosen up a little bit. Um, you know, they've made that higher in communications um, in, in the PMO. Right. Um, I don't know Max, but I mean, uh, he comes highly recommended. And so, you know, will that change a lot? Time will tell. But I think at this point, there has to be realization that, guys, we, we got to throw a Hail Mary here from a comms standpoint, not from a governing standpoint. We don't have to pass any weird, wacky laws here. But from a communication standpoint, there's a lot we can talk about about the successes and about the good things we've done for this country and our way forward in a way that resonates with people. Right. And that's, that's, their, that's the only path for the Liberal Party is to get that narrative down. 
Or imagine if Poilievre does something super racist, right? And then we can, that's a joke. Not, yeah, well, it's not going to happen though, right? Like he's, uh, he's not. Yeah. And uh, he's also, he's a very, like he's an incredibly disciplined campaigner. And to your point earlier, your question about his view on the media and all that, he's true to himself on that. And he's true to a lot of the people. Uh, but in, you, didn't, you didn't answer my question. Does he think that, that Trudeau controls the media. Oh, I don't know. I think he believes he they have tremendous influence over it. Yeah. I don't know if he like you know, control. I, that's a uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, Justin Trudeau's bought and paid for a CP. You know, Canadian press. Thing. Well, there is. He does have a very valid point, though, right? And it's a good message track when it, it's like all of these media outlets are being uh, supported by the Liberal government, and uh, Polyev is going to uh, to end that. Right, like he's pledged very clearly, and it's interesting because you say like a lot of the national newspapers are conservative; they depend on this, exactly. this funding as well. It's a Post weird media point for him to take, and yeah. the Sun News takes a lot of money from that fund, uh, so they would be impacted by this as well. It's a str- yeah, it's a strange kind of double-edged sword. I want to ask you something that uh, you talked about on your last um, episode. I think you said Pierre Polyev writes it all himself. You don't have any doubt in your mind that he's writing every tweet himself, every post. And much of the script for, for example, the housing video, that is that is that for real? Is he is he well, really sitting there? He uh, absolutely like look. He, he he would have staff. I'm sure that he gets to check it and to help with the research. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're you're leader of a party, you definitely want to lean on these people. And he's got some smart people around him. But no, he is an animal of this. Like, he created a social media for the last decade, right? Working on this and building it up himself. Yeah. Uh, it, now, of course, he he has a, a wide network that he taps for ideas and talks to. But yeah, he is the he is the leader of the the party and the and the social media strategy without it's, question. It's funny when you think about that because think about like the John Fetterman model in the U.S. Senate. Um, you know, the last election he had this very famously unhinged social media presence that didn't that was so obviously not even pretending to be from him. You know, not, so obviously not even pretending to be like something he signed off on. It, he just pointed his young staff at the social right. media and said, "Go, let it rip." And they had a lot of success that way. It's like this third model of doing it in a way that we haven't really seen before, which I thought was 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 quite interesting. For Fetterman to do that. Yeah, yeah. To go ag- against, yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and I think that there was a lot of people who were like, there's a bit of a cringe factor here. You're memeing this guy, you know, Fetterman who's got some health challenges and, and all kinds of stuff. And like, is that appropriate? But, you know, he was, he was into it. And they had a lot of success just communicating in the language of the internet, which is what I always say to clients and I always say to folks, you have to talk first and foremost in the language of the internet and people will forgive you if they know that it's not actually John Fetterman going great day at such and such bakery today, right? Like, who cares about that anymore? Right. So I thought that was a really interesting way to do things. Do you think, and I, because you still see some of these on his account, like nice day at Community Center X or whatever. Do you think when and if, you know, hopefully not, but let's say he wins and becomes prime minister, you know, do you think that's going to be a feature of his social media? Is he still going to be partisan gunfight all day long, or will he settle into a more prime ministerial tack? One hundred percent, he will be uh, who he is now. He will be guns a blazing uh, until he leaves politics, and then he'll go on to his next venture, where, where he will then be the same person. So that's a good point. And you know who's like that in the States is is Dan Crenshaw, the you know, the yep. I think he's still the most followed Republican on Instagram and he just he just goes for it all day, every single day, right? That's just what he does. And when you speak to him, you know, he's a nice, he's a normal guy, but he's like, this is what my people want. And I think it's the same thing, right? This is what Polyev's people want. And if he stops doing that and gets institutionalized, I think the same thing. People will turn on him. But I'm curious now, I'm wondering, if he keeps doing the same thing he's always been doing, if he becomes the VHS copy of the VHS copy, will people go like, oh, this Polyev with his with his partisan attacks, enough of that, you know? No, I think it's, well, I mean, with him, it's going to be innovation though too, right? He, I think, will always have the opposition mentality. Uh, I don't think he will, you know, I don't think, I mean, you, you never know until you see it, right? Yeah. Um, Harper was our very best strategist. Like people don't realize Stephen Harper was the best strategist, of the conservative party, no one else. Um, and that did get overtaken by being prime minister for nine years. He, he, he lost his edge in that last campaign. Um, I don't, knowing Polyev, he is such a, uh, um, 
hard worker and meticulous on this stuff where he, every talking point that he ever gave, he researched the heck out of, right? Like he, he doesn't just like when, when I was a staffer, I'd give him a talking point to do something. I was decon for the party. He wouldn't just go up and repeat that talking point. He would ask for the full background on yeah. what I'm saying yeah. here. And I think that's the mentality he would have as prime minister. But again, I could be wrong. Maybe he could like, once you get into the trappings of government and have to wake up every morning and deal with all these different issues, uh, you, you could get watered down. Yeah. I mean, you, you absolutely can. And, and time in office and incumbency changes a lot of things. And, you know, I work with a lot of politicians who fall into this trap of becoming the comfortable incumbent. And you kind of have to like wake them up a little bit and be like, look, your message isn't resonating because the same thing every day. And it's not talking like how people talk online and it's not really connecting with someone in a way that, that resonates with him. So I wonder what is there going to, what is there to be mad about, right? If he's prime minister and so forth. But who gave us a great example of that was Donald Trump, who was all day long in his four years in office talking about all the people who angered and displeased him and you know were traitors and, and losers or whatever. Well, I won't compare him to Trump. I'll let you do that. <laughs> uh, but look, it's a lot of fun having you on today. This was a really good chat and it's good to get a sense of what it was like and what it is like on the liberal side of things. So really appreciate you coming in to, to chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where can people find you on X now that you've shit on it so much throughout the day? Now that I've uh, shit on it, I've been like, yeah. it's, a, it's a cancer on this country. But and where horrible. can people find you? you at want. Real Dave Summer on X. Awesome. Yeah. And I uh, can also find you and uh, your, your firm at Find Currency. At Find Currency on all platforms. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was a fun chat with uh, Dave Summer from the the liberal side of things. We spoke with Cole Hogan from the conservative side of things last week, so check out that episode if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, This was a really fun conversation or two conversations I had where I get a a deeper understanding of uh, not only the digital presence, but the narrative building and where these two uh, massive uh, political parties uh, and war machines are headed towards because there is going to be an amazing clash in the next year or two. And I think uh, listening to these two folks gives us a sense of where this is going and where uh, innovation is key and storytelling and narrative is key. So this was a lot of fun and please tune in uh, next week for another episode of On Background. And do not forget to subscribe and share our podcast. Um, I want to keep growing this thing. I'm having a lot of fun and I hope you are too. Send me an email at onbackground at ipolitics.ca and you can uh, obviously find us in all of the places you get your podcasts.